So welcome back to the Here We Go Again podcast episode two. I'm Luke Gallagher. I'm joined by my colleague Mike O'Gara, and this week we're joined by former Wanderers midfielder Gareth Farrelly. How are you, Gareth? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thanks so, for thanks for inviting me. It's no in. problem. It's nice, to come in, nice to come and see you. So it's going to be basically a run through your career yeah. and a talk about you know what what you got up to during your career. That won't um, that won't take long, to be honest with you. <laughs> Hopefully beyond the realms of Wikipedia as well, so <laughs> see what the questions we, are. Yeah, we've, we've, we've done a bit of research, hopefully it's up to scratch. Um, home farm, is that where you played your schoolboy football? Yeah, in Dublin, yeah. Um, so you were playing for home farm and then you signed for Aston Villa, how did that come about? I'm guessing there were scouts that saw you playing for home farm? Yeah, very much so. At that time, home farm would have been kind of the signature club for schoolboy footballers in, in Ireland. There was a lot of players who'd come across Ronnie Whelan played a schoolboy football there there was lots of people that had come and um, kind of made a breakthrough and had really really good careers there so it was a Dublin club I was a Dublin boy and I played the majority of my schoolboy football there that coincided then with starting to play in the underage international sides and I think that was where more and more scouts kind of started to look at the games and then I was fortunate I had an opportunity to go to a lot of clubs at that time. Um, ironically, I chose Aston Villa because I thought it was the place where I would settle, being a home board. And then my family were very comfortable with the youth development officer at the time, who unfortunately went on pretty soon after I signed to go and work with the Premier League. But um, yeah, that was it, really. Going from home farm to joining a massive club like Aston Villa, that must have been a, a proud moment even that early on in your career. You say, yeah, proud moment, but also brought different challenges. I was very, very, uh, I would say, a home board. So I, when looking at a club, it wasn't just considerations to, like, financial. At that stage, it wasn't anything major with regards to that, but it was more looking at a club that you'd potentially be able to settle away from home. I think that was a challenge a lot of um, young Irish players faced and still face now, so it was quite interesting. So the primary consideration was as much finding somewhere that you'd be able to settle and develop properly rather than some other considerations that people would probably prioritise. So how old were you when you moved to Villa then? I signed a professional contract at 17. So I was one of the first kids at Aston Villa to sign a pro contract. So it was, uh, yeah, 17. I had to finish my, probably the equivalent of GCSEs and then stepped across. So new challenge. And sort of what were the living arrangements then when you were, were you living with other players I th- or I th- I'm not sure how much it's evolved now I think not, not, not players I think at that time it wasn't like hostel situation or dorms it was uh, digs so we were right. it was myself and another Irish player at that time who actually moved in with the club physio so that was kind of the arrangement we had and other players would have been placed in specific digs in and around the, the city close to the training ground and the ground so just became new experience and became some, something different. Oh, it still happens here. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder if that still goes on. Yeah, lads do live in and around yeah. the areas. Live with families and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge for those people that, say, Aston Villa as an example, at that time there would have been kids from all over the UK. Yeah. Now you look at how global the game is, it's slightly different again, but it's a, it's a, it's a big step when you're not at home. Some of the, say, more local players or players within a couple of hours were still able to go home after the game on a Saturday, but for... For us, say who travelled from Ireland, that wasn't wasn't feasible. So it was a it was a whole new challenge and very very uh, testing. Yeah, big adjustment for a a young footballer to leave yeah. his family and, and live in it. Yeah, and country. it's a big consideration now for people. It's one of the factors that, especially with regards to Ireland, it's it's still it's it's a big challenge for people coming coming away 
obviously you talk about playing the football can sometimes be the easy part but settling not having your family friends um, support circle around you it can bring different challenges who was it that brought you to Villa then? Um, the guy at the time was a guy called uh, Dave Richardson he was the person as I say that my family were comfortable with and kind of built a relationship with but uh, as I say within a short time frame of me being at the club he was recruited and went and worked with the Premier League What was it like at Villa? What what sort of players did you work with which managers did you work with was it an well, I was signed time? by Ron I was signed by Ron Atkinson yeah and obviously Ron was a uh, big character and obviously he did very very well then and then Brian Little came in after that so yeah just different but as I say as, as a young player you're kind of looking to make your way There's different challenges within that and obviously things that have been in the press kind of in the last 12 to 18 months about my time there but um for the most part, there were some really, really good guys there. I made some really, really good friends. And I was in Birmingham on Saturday for something else. And it's amazing that I've, I've still got friends in Birmingham now. So we're talking quite quite a time after that. So, yeah, different. And as a young player, was there any sort of senior players in the Villa team at the time that helped you out? Well, the thing with Aston Villa at that time was there was a huge Irish presence there. And obviously Paul McGrath was there, who was my hero, if you like. Like... People ask me questions now about who was some of the best players you played with and he would be very much at the top of that list. Steve Staunton was there, um, Ray Houghton, Andy Townsend. So there was a, there was, a, there was an Irish contingent there and obviously that helped and the fact that it was a successful team and that the club was doing very well at that time made those things a little bit easier. You go back to, like I think it was in 1994, was the first kind of Coca-Cola Cup final where they beat... Um, Man United 2-1 when, and then they won the I was part of the squad later that won the equivalent cup again so it, it, it was a good time they were competing for the league there was yeah it was a, it was a, the club was on the up and it's it's a huge 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 club and then Everton was it difficult to leave Villa or did you feel like the move was the right thing no no listen no, sorry not to finish your questions but I was an Everton fan so the answer would be no <laughs> I'd had difficulties with the coach at Aston Villa, so after five years of being there, I knew I was invariably going to leave. I didn't believe I would get an opportunity to play. And then when Everton came in for me, Howard Kendall was returning to Everton for his third managerial spell. So when he contacted me, that was a really, really easy decision because I'd started supporting Everton in 1983. So to get the opportunity to go and play for them was like back to that, being a fan, yeah. Uh, kid element of having grown up supporting the club, the players, the manager. It was it was an easy decision. How did you end up as an Everton fan? What made you start to support? Them? Everybody in Ireland supported Liverpool, Man United. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it was like for one of yeah. them. I didn't didn't follow the. Just went against the grain. Yeah, bit, yeah, right? very much so. So it was like it was an easy one for me. That I loved the kit sponsored by Lecoq Le Sportif and Hafney at that time, and it coincided with again a time where Everton were starting to be a lot stronger and they went into what was a, their most successful period in the club's history so it was a yeah for me it was like that child coming back to a ground through the eyes of a child having supported mm. them and seeing it and going well listen it's it's a no-brainer I want to what sort of players did they have at the time the players that you looked up to as a kid 
Um, God, you could go through it. Neville Southall, Gary Stevens, Kevin Ratcliffe, Derek Mountfield, Pat Vandernow, Peter Reid, Paul Bracewell, Kevin Just Sheedy, a bit Trevor yeah. Stephen, <laughs> Andy Gray, <laughs> Graeme Sharp, Adrian Heath, all of them. I was like you say, they were they were the people I grew up with. Pictures on my wall. They, that was the club. That was the club I supported. So I did quite well with the team, right? Didn't I? Yeah, considering you're going back to like 1983. Yeah, but and, but one of the amazing things now is to still get to see some of those guys. So like, time moves on and life moves on obviously but it's one of the things that I still enjoy is still being able to go down to the club and see those people that played such an integral part in the history of the club and I think it's really really important so it's like even use Bolton as an example the people that people who would be considered to be the heroes of the club if you like and played a part in the moments or history that's significant for people is that you have to respect these people because whilst they're here you it's a it's a, it's a special thing and you mentioned going back to Everton there. Is is it somewhere that you go back to frequently? Um, no, no, no. To be honest with you, f- football is quite funny now. I'm sure we'll get on to it. My, my life's moved on. I, I I enjoy going back to the clubs I played for to watch games, probably more so Everton and here because of uh, geography more than anything else. But I don't like overstaying welcome. So like you say, I wouldn't go to every game, but there's still different times during the season depending on my son might want to go and watch a game and I'll make... I'll decide as and when but I think now with work your weekends become a little bit precious and I also I do some work for the Premier League so that kind of determines what your weekends are going yeah, to be yeah of course you're an Everton fan as well then no no I'm not a football fan I'm not really a football I love watching good football but I'm not really a fan of any, any club anymore um, how did you find your time there in general then Everton because obviously like you say it was one of those sort of childhood objectives to play for Everton and, and it must have been a real honour how did you find it um, yes, all of the above, but the difficulty was it was at a period where Everton's team wasn't doing very well. And again, sometimes when heart rules head and emotion takes over your decision-making process, I hadn't given any thought to the fact that the team and the club had been struggling for a few years before that. So it was an incredibly challenging year. So my first season, if you like, having come from Aston Villa, a team and a squad that was challenging at the top end of the table and a positive environment with regards to being involved in training coming on in games or being in and around the first team I came to Everton and possibly didn't understand despite being a fan from afar the intensity and how um, difficult it was to play there so it was a that first season was a massive massive challenge for me and it coincides with you talk about that season but everybody's talking about VAR and not so much goal line technology at the moment but that was the year, I think, was the first game at the Reebok where Everton, Bolton drew 0-0. Yeah, I'd rather not speak. Terry, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in before you on it. <laughs> I was like, and like Terry Phelan headed a ball that was over the line, the goal wasn't given, and obviously some people would still talk about if goal line technology had been in place, that that goal would have been given and it would have had an impact on, or could have had an impact on the season. Obviously for me, just one of the talking just, points yeah, if you like but but with regards to Everton that season it was a very very challenging year for me as a young footballer trying to get to grips and become established playing in an environment that was incredibly intense and trying to get to understand the expectation that came with that especially with being a footballer you'd had different things with Everton with regards to like dogs of war before that and like a really really clear identity but when you're a footballer and you judge how you've performed in a game on the back of what you've created, how many passes you've had, how many shots you've had, have you contributed? It was a completely different challenge because in a team that's struggling sometimes, people don't want the ball. People will do their best to 
portray that they're doing all sorts but when they don't want the ball mm. and it, w- it was a big challenge and, and I, I learned a lot that year because I had a huge amount of shots I hit corner flags I hit stands I hit, made goalkeepers look magnificent but I kept kept going and obviously had an incredible outcome then incredible outcome for the club at the time Everton by staying up on the last day of the season yeah, which obviously say, yeah. so I'll let you fudge over or yeah, present the point of like what the consequences of Everton staying up were yeah well I mean I'm glad you've said that because that clears up that my little bit of research <laughs> is correct there um, obviously your goal kept Everton in the Premier League in 1998 is that right yeah that must have been a big moment for yourself personally and for the club because for a club like that to have dropped out of the top flight it would have been a, in the fans eyes a bit of a disaster really yeah hugely so and I think one of the things that Everton pride themselves on is they've never been relegated so with regards to learning and how difficult a year that was for me personally as an Everton fan but also for the club I was playing for at the time it was a huge relief and outcome to stay up on the last day of the season but to kind of endure all of the drama that went with that and the point is we talk about Everton how difficult a year it had been I'm still speaking to people about it now so it's like 20, 22 years later now it's still a significant thing for the club which is interesting because it's in, it's a it's a big thing in a different kind of way. People rightly celebrate victories, cups, promotions, uh, championships, but there was a an increased significance, and there has been an increased significance given the fact that Everton had never been relegated. The consequences of that, like what you said, what could have happened at that time? Because so many clubs that have been relegated have struggled, struggled to, to recover. That, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that's still a big thing. But I. Football, you kind of you drift in and out of love with football, and when you're a player, sometimes you kind of never really realise the position you're in. And I have didn't really give it any thought. And as I say, probably four or five years ago, I went down to a game with, at Goodison with my son. It was the first game he'd gone to, and you're kind of walking into your seat, and you get to the seat for the game, and the video came on before the game, and the goal that goal was on it. So like you've got your son who's eight looking at that. And that kind of brings you back to what the the good things about football are because you're kind of able to see it through his eyes. Whereas I think the more you're involved in football, you kind of become uh, inured to the game. And, and, and that was a really, really good thing. So, Just a brief story on the last day of the season. So... This is this was always... There's always good cop, bad cop, isn't there? Yeah, so this so is going to bring back <laughs> the Chelsea game. Yeah, the Chelsea game. So... I was, I'd have been two at the time, but my dad's told me a lot. You're not going to tell me you had firm recollections at two of that? <laughs> no, no, no. But I've seen the game on the on the telly, and Chelsea fans are booing their own team when they're two up, because uh, for some reason... Yeah, I've heard I, about that. Bolton, well, they needed like, to, to at least get the point. Chelsea, you know? Chelsea wanted Bolton to stay up. Basically, the day. fans were, everyone was just like booing them because they were just playing it round the back, and it was just oh. a really... Well, to build the podcast drama, Go you on. had a situation where we had to, we had to better... Bolton's result so the point was the trials and tribulations of a day like that and the pressure that came with it for players fans and everybody you did I think the Chelsea fans would have been happier at that time to see Everton relegated so you had through the the day Bolton and Chelsea were drawing which meant Everton would have been relegated and then obviously Everton went ahead which meant again Everton were safe mm. but then in the late last few minutes of that game Coventry equalised which meant it was all back to Bolton staying up again and then Chelsea scored two late goals Jody yes. Morris scored two goals and obviously the Bolton fans 
were devastated at that time, but also the Chelsea fans had been booing their own team scoring because they'd wanted Everton to get relegated. So it's like you say, the drama that goes within a day like that, and the big thing is everybody has a story, everybody who was there or every fan, they'll have a, an a applicable... Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So it was uh, yeah, high drama, high stakes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my dad's still uh, not, not got over it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so you say it was an Everton team that were sort of underachieving at that point or unsuccessful what sort of players were in that Everton squad were there there many big names in the squad yeah there were some very very good players but again people left during that season Andy Hinchliffe was there Gary Speed was there Duncan Ferguson was there and Neville Southall it was there was kind of a transitionary period within that team as well but it it just became a, a challenge different people respond to pressure in different ways you don't expect Everton to be in a position like that but as the season went on it was a it became more and more challenging. And I find that really, really interesting now because it's not easy being a football fan, which I'm sure you'll testify to anyway. But I think also for players that sometimes, even now, when I go and watch, say, Everton, is that some of the players who've come into the club are possibly not prepared for the demanding fans. Everton is a... It's a, a high-achieving club. There's a, there's an expectation when you play for Everton. You can talk about that being the intensity of being in a city like Liverpool anyway. And I think sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get used to that. And I'd play Aston Villa was a huge club, but there was a... And is a huge club uh, globally. But I just think Everton, it, it, it took it took a while to get used to that expectation because it's, it's, it's there with every game. It's there with everything associated with it and and that intensity is, is relentless so different challenges and, and I think even now that's one of the things I would identify when I look at some of the younger players is that they come to Everton and um, it's not a slight on them but it's just it's just the reality that there's a perception of you have a top four you have a top whatever but there's still huge huge clubs with huge fan bases and demanding fans and it's it's something that people if they want to perform to the best of their ability have to quite uh, get their head around at the earliest stage to be able to deal with that and, and and i've seen people deal with it and respond and i've seen people who have who have not done so and find it quite difficult so that's one of the interesting things with it and a move to bolton wonders after that yeah, did straight on the, the nice easy bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did it feel like it was a fresh start that you needed at, at that? No, no, no. Well, there's there's, a, there's more of a story behind that. Is obviously that Everton stayed up on the last day of the season. The following week, I went and had a meeting with the manager, and again, we spoke openly about how difficult that season had been. We're talking about stuff 22 years ago. But I, it's only in my recollections because I've been speaking about it at different times. But that conversation was really, really open and frank with a, a manager saying last year hadn't been good enough. There was things that I felt weren't done properly. He agreed. He was pl- pleased, again, given his history with Everton. And the reality is Everton will never have another manager like him. Like Howard Kendall was the most successful manager in Everton's history and um, has created some of that history. So there was a plan in place that that was not going to be the case. Everything would be would be better. But unbeknownst to me, then the manager was actually sacked at the end of the week and a new manager came in. So you talk about the psychology and the highs and lows of football. I went from having an outcome like that on the last day of the season to playing eight minutes the whole of the following season. So you 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 battle through what's an incredibly challenging time. You feel like you get to the top of the summer on the last day and 
that there was a huge shift for me because automatically you went into a kind of another level after having the outcome like that to then be told you can leave new manager comes in he says you can go and that was it and as I say I played in one equivalent Caribou Cup game that season against Oxford and again those games are always interesting because you're not in the manager's plans they play you in a game where you're not overly match fit to give them an opportunity to say well don't come to me saying you should be playing on Saturday because you had your opportunity on Wednesday and then I, I came on as a substitute against Newcastle for eight minutes and that was my that was my football for a whole year so they expect you to prove a point in those games when you're not yeah they do it happens fit. all the time now it's brilliant and it's all cliched how it's all mapped out you know what I mean don't come don't come knocking on my door saying you should be in the team knowing that you're playing against people that have played probably those early rounds where they're um, fit sharp match fit weathers yeah. yeah ready and like on a competitive level every week whereas you haven't had you're still training every day but you're not at that match fitness training level is so much different to the match yeah we hear that a lot yeah massively so yeah. a huge thing and it's like it's like you say so there was there was that point and then I went through that whole season with a group of players at Everton who'd been told similar where we were just playing reserve team football so to the point where the pre-season the following season started on June the 7th and the manager brought us back on the 14th of June and that was like one of those points again where like let's try and um, irritate them to such a level that they're going to want to leave yeah. so we were getting pictures and text messages from some of the lads still on the holidays while we were running around Croxton Park so that was different so that was the second season and then as I say pre-season went very very well for me football is about decision making and making good decisions at the right times I played really really well played my way back into contention but then the manager at the time asked me would I want to go to Italy for 10 days and I said no I said I'm not going to Italy to be a, a human mannequin for your squad I'm not going and that was basically the final death knell or nail in the coffin that if you want it then for you yeah yeah, yeah. so we went through season started where you're just playing in the reserve games at the time I was doing extra training with a friend of mine to get fit and that kind of coincided then with November was I think when I joined November 99 yes was when I joined Bolton big Sam Allardyce yeah Sam had just come club. in that week yeah yeah there's an interesting story behind your signing I believe uh oh um, you know more than I do Mr Andrew Dean you asked for um, uh, Mr. that he took came in and told us this so poetic oh, uh, yeah, license story. could be elsewhere Apparently Andrew Dean is an absolute diamond of a man, is, so I doubt if, if if he has said it, it must be true. Um, yeah. That you came in asking for Mr. Dean, and you believe I believe you were asking for Dean Crombie. Yes, because Dean, I think Dean was one of the scouts at the time, and he was away. Andrew Dean, and Andrew he, was working when he was. It was, was like a really busy day, and a really Friday. busy day. But I think he, yeah, they got him on his phone. Said. There's a, a, a Gareth Farrell here to see you. That's I've got for, no for Mr Dean. Yeah, ask for Mr Dean. I've got no... Uh, he must be a lottery agent or something <laughs> like that. That would be it. Yeah. I've got no in, interview, uh, like bookings in today. <laughs> you know, t- time to c- come back another Getting day. Getting more and more worked up. Getting more, more and more worked up. More and more worked up. And then you realised, because Dean Crombie must have come walking in. Yeah. And that's where the confusions come through. <laughs> and <laughs> Andrew just came in laughing. Yeah, that's a story he told us last <laughs> yeah. week when he knew you were coming in. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. How was it working with Big Sam? It's no, well, it was different. Were... It was different for it was different for me and everybody will have yeah. their story, right? But like I was Sam's first signing. Yeah, I was just mm-hmm. gonna say, yeah. Right? And and you and you signing. talk about again driving over today thinking about speaking to you guys like that. 
there's a point to prove. It's like you say, all footballers, if you're not playing, you're searching out that opportunity to get back, and you have like that, you have that hunger and drive to prove to your other club that you should be playing and that you're you're better than being playing reserve games. And I'm not saying again that there's been changes, but at the end of the day, that's how you gauged your career was it were you playing games so coming to somewhere like Bolton was a big opportunity for me there'd been a lot of other clubs that had asked about taking me on loan there'd been lots of other clubs that had expressed an interest but as I say football is fascinating because when you're in when you're in and I use the word in as in when everything's okay and rosy people will talk and look to talk positively about you whereas when you're not playing there's always a negative associated with you and as I say at that time I was uh, heavily motivated and driven I used to drive to Sheffield twice a week to do extra training with a friend of mine so on the track in Sheffield at Don Valley on a Tuesday and Thursday evening I used to do extra work and I knew that when the loan move came for me that I would be I'd be ready to kind of grasp that and take it if you like so in many ways because of Bolton being local to where I lived it, it, it was the perfect fit new manager coming in my first game we played against Sheffield United away we beat them 2-1 I scored scored on my my debut and I was really really excited about that the only difficulty I had then is Bolton it, that week 10 days was really really funny because Sam had taken the job but then there'd obviously been an incident mm-hmm. with Phil Brown that week Yeah. so there'd been quite it was an interesting environment I'd never encountered a club environment like it <laughs> nobody was speaking I didn't understand the background behind it and it was only kind of after the train and that I got an understanding of what had gone on so I was I was excited to be playing football again the difficulty I had then was the following Thursday we'd, we'd played Sheffield United away I think it was on the Sunday I had the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and then on the Thursday my um, father died of a heart attack so you go from having been in the shadows of a football club environment to getting that sense of freedom by being playing having a massive start and momentum and then you're back in a situation that was really really difficult again yeah it's the highs and lows of life that isn't it really yeah which affects everybody but like you say even within football context life just things happen in life that are outside of kind of football that people possibly don't really understand and it's it was an incredibly difficult time and difficult to deal with the issue with Phil Brown, I, I don't know anything about that. Is, is it something that we can talk about on the podcast? Um, probably not. I no. think as a lawyer, we'll probably we'll stick yeah, with we'll probably we'll, we'll, we'll okay. away from that one. I'll just. Uh, I mean, it in the context that it was a really, really interesting environment. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was training in a strange environment where nobody was speaking, yeah. and it was only afterwards then that I had an understanding of what actually had gone on. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, okay, I've not come to the strangest club in the UK. There's a reason that everybody is afraid to speak. <laughs> Right, well, we'll uh, quickly go past that one then. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think it was about Sam that helped the club to be successful during that era? Because that was a pretty successful era for the club, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you, something that was interesting there, you said that when you came here, it kind of you had that experience at Everton and you had like a point to prove. He had a, Sam had a real thing of getting players in, or at least from my perspective, of players with a point to prove. Yeah. In terms of from my era... And he's like Yuri Jorkev. Nobody wanted Yuri at that time, and mm-hmm. he's only he'd been in the France squads only a couple of years prior to that. And then he comes here, and he's a magician. Mm. Same with like Yuri. yeah, but I think the point within that is that Yuri class is permanent. Yeah, very true. And things like that, and like you say, there's a lot. Sometimes football is the easiest part. Mm. Football is. 
there's, is a game of distraction and there's so many elements to go with that. So I think y you'll, you'll give credit to a manager who brings the player in and gives them the platform to be able to do that and look to um, eliminate all of those distractions, however many or however few. But the other thing with Bolton at that time is that you'll talk about Sam and rightly, but the other point of that is there was some, there was some exceptional footballers here mm -hmm. already. There was exceptional footballers here already and then there was people that came in and added to that. So I think the core group was really, really strong, not just football-wise but characters as well. So I think like, so my first season it became difficult then because after my dad's death you end up, you're in and out of the team. That was a season where there was still what you would have considered some of the Premier League players there from the previous relegation and then to lose in the manner that we did against Ipswich is a conversation I was having with someone recently that again you talk about the pub quiz but a situation where I think nearly every player I think Bolton had two two red cards yeah. and 11 yellows in the second playoff game against Ipswich and that was an Ipswich team that were expected to win and went on to qualify for Europe the following season but people would say Bolton should have won that playoff uh, sequence of games because Absolutely. they did very well at home and then went to Portman Road and obviously that game on that night was an, was an, was incredible and I was I was on the bench that night like desperate to come on and play a part but but I didn't but then what happened through that close season was players left so you had either Go Johnson went to Chelsea it was it was an incredible talent and had a had a super career Klaus Jensen moved to Charlton Mark Fish moved and I think the expectation then was not dampened but people were thinking well hang on a second here we're kind of losing. Like the perceived, men, yeah. yeah, the perceived big hitters, and that wasn't the case. So I think the pre-season then actually wasn't what anyone would have said was a seamless, easy pre-season. But there was certain players who came in at the time of note would have been like Michael Ricketts came in, Anthony Barnes came in. There was different people came in and played a huge part. And then Sam maintained a system, but hit on a group of players that were able to fit into the, that system with points to prove, but also very, very good players. Juicy Jaskalainen was incredible that year. Goodney Bergson was incredible that year. Simon Charlton. I think if you name the majority of people, Frank Passy came in, who had an incredible contribution, who was a brilliant guy. Michael Ricketts was unbelievable that year. Kevin Nolan started to break through. Bo Hansen. So I think if you look at naming people again, that they kind of, we kind of hit on a system, and we hit on a system within what was an incredibly competitive championship that year with Fulham under Jan Tigana and Blackburn Rovers under Graeme Souness so it was it was it, it was really really close and then obviously we went through a situation where getting into the playoffs and with the expectation of going up because we were the team that finished third and I, again I was speaking to somebody last week I think the fear was that no team at that time that had finished third in the championship had won the playoffs so I there was always you, yeah yeah there was always little things but I think we were there was a confidence again and there was a belief there that we would be able to well complete the task we kind of set which was to get promoted so again for me that was there was a big thing about having stepped down to try and prove yourself again and then to get back into the Premier League mm -hmm. so we managed to achieve that through the through the playoff final Was it a bit gutting to miss out on automatic promotion? Because no I don't think we thought of it like that I think points. there was but Fulham were exceptional that year Blackburn had some br excellent really, players really huge strong. huge budget mm -hmm. and, and we were competitive with them we were competitive with them but the point was if, if you weren't going to get automatic then the next best way was 
was through the playoffs, so it was exciting. As I say, it was Wembley was being redeveloped at that time, so the the playoffs there was a huge incentive and prize to play at Cardiff, and then obviously we we beat West Brom in the first semi-final if you like and then knew we had Preston waiting for us in the final do we go back to the Ipswich game just to cover that I mean it hurts me and I, I bet I don't remember it but my dad would be remiss <coughs> your dad's did. had a tough time so far he to has, be honest hope we're going to move on to the good stuff, <laughs> the, stuff the, clouds, the clouds will clear <laughs> I just want to know that what, what it was like in the dressing room after that game because from the outside looking in it was seen to everybody that it was an injustice because of a, a certain official that's kind of not allowed to be spoke about. Right. <laughs> You'll have to t- you can tell me off. I can't remember who the official Barry was. Barry Knight. Barry Knight, okay. Um, Good sent, knowledge. Mind you, you You've done well with that, haven't you? Sent, There's oh, not a picture of him up at home, is there, on the dartboard or something okay. like that? <laughs> it's a big one. Right. Um, sent two players off. I remember seeing Mike Whitlow on the videos. His face is just red with anger because there's there's penalty decisions in that game and they had, there's nowhere near penalties he's cleared the ball I just want to know what the atmosphere was like post that game if you could oh, to be honest with you, I, I, I can't remember I can't remember I can only like surmise and say that people would have been devastated given how close mm-hmm. we had come at that time and also the fact that Ipswich would have been the overwhelming favourites if you like so yeah Disappointing, devastating, but I think also there was a recognition that people were going to leave because they hadn't made it to the playoff final or the Premier League. So I think that was probably one of the thoughts as well. So, but we move on to better times. I mean, obviously the playoffs, West Brom in the semi-final, but it didn't all go to plan. Did it two 0 down? Yeah, it was it was to be so honest, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it? No, yeah, but it was it was like you say. I think we had we were confident. That if we performed, we would we would win. And I know that sounds like a blatantly obvious thing to say, but that's irrespective of the noise around it about people finishing third and all of that. Because at the end of the day, you knew who you were competing against individually and collectively. So we had a horrific start at the Hawthorns, and again, the Hawthorns is an incredible ground, incredible atmosphere. It was a a brilliant sort of environment to play in. But we we managed to come back to two two, which I think for them was gut-wrenching given the fact that bringing a 2-0 lead if you like to Reebok would have been a totally different position in the playoffs rather than coming back 2-2 with the away goals and all of the kind of momentum was with us and then second leg we you, you never say comfortable but we, we won 3-0 and that, I think that kind of set us up nicely for what was to come those playoff games the semi-finals when it's two legs and there's so much at stake you, can, you go 2-0 down in a game and, and it, and it could make a big difference. Is it just about keeping calm heads in that situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like, what what a game to be a part of. Like you say, it's what everybody wants to play football for. It was high stakes. But, yeah, I think we were confident that we would score goals, irrespective. And then, once you get one, you're confident then that you're going to get back into the game. And we were, we were very strong. So, we did what would have been expected. Like you say, losing the two early goals wasn't on the agenda, but it's probably testimony to the team at the time is that people didn't really panic there was a, a quiet confidence that we'd be able to get back into the game and then to come off sort of at nil-nil again bringing it back to the Reebok is like well we know what we have to do in the next game so it was a positive outcome and then obviously the job done here to the Millennium Stadium a convincing win against against Preston North End really 
you scored, was it the first goal? Yeah. That must have been special to score. Yeah, massive. Yeah, right foot again. Okay. Yeah, but I, I'd, again, talking to you guys, being honest, Preston was one of the clubs that were supposedly interested in me before I came to Bolton. So there was always an element in me that they didn't take that opportunity and Bolton had done. So like I played against Bolton that season and I think we beat them comfortably every time we played them. I scored a couple of times against them and that I just wanted to show them that they'd made a mistake and I wanted to show them uh, categorically and I was confident playing against the team and the people in that Preston team because I was aware of them and I knew that I wanted to win. I had an absolute hunger and desire to win and show them that you made a mistake and that was very much at the forefront of my mind because when you come back to the competitive nature of the game you're going up against people all the time and I was absolutely driven to be the best I could be one to get promoted with Bolton but secondly to say well you had an opportunity and you didn't take it you listened to the wrong people about character or lack of fitness or different things and like here it is now oh, so is that where it, it was today yeah, yeah, so very much down so. the opportunity yeah yeah, 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 yeah absolutely yeah and like you say I'd managed to kick on we had an incredible season but that was kind of the culmination of that so it, it, people are driven and motivated by different things but for me that was like at the forefront of, of my mind it was an interesting final because I like the way you come in with the little heavy bits now. See, I'm, getting, I'm getting comfortable with this now. Hopefully your dad had a good day that day. He had a brilliant yeah, day, yeah, yeah. let me assure you of that. Because um, in the run-up, if I got it right, Matt Clark came in. Matt Clark was one of my best friends, mm. and he was a brilliant guy. And he played When Juicy, sorry, just for, again, so people recollect, Juicy did his cruciate ligament towards the end of the season, which was a, a huge blow, because he had been absolutely exceptional that year. And then people were saying, like, who's are the goalies out there who who do you think would be able to come in and complement the team and be at a comparable level to what we had with Juicy and then Matt, Matt came in and he was he was brilliant while he was here he, in the final he was certainly busy in the early stages I remember off the, again off the videos many chances coming in Matt Clark was there and then oh, was the, the, the only rec, the only recollection on that day I think we were too strong mm. right that point but he made a save from David Healy at yeah. 1-0 and that was what probably the most he had to be tested that day, and he dealt with it with a plum. But I think on that day we were we were just too strong. I was gonna say once the first goal came in. Yeah, well, the, 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 that, yeah, the, everything just yeah, went absolutely, yeah, because we, it was it was it was our day. But then I think obviously Michael Rickett scored late on, and then Ricardo Gardner yeah, finished it, it off to three 0 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like it ended up being a great day for everybody. Mm, absolutely so. And then obviously promotion to the Premier League as a result. I mean. That must have been a pretty decent part. Yeah, well, that was that was that was an, that was the achievement. That was the goal. That's what everybody wanted. So it was, um, yeah, it was a huge thing. Good, good scenes afterwards. Good celebrations. Yeah, but listen, strange time. I think the game's moved on now. So like, people keep talking to me about we laugh about years. Was that it was two thousand and one? Yeah, no, two thousand one. That's why. Yeah, yeah, right. So two thousand and one. Yeah. But like, you weren't talking open top bus tours and turning up at the town hall playoffs. It's extended the season if you like and we just went away and had a holiday and then obviously everybody was really really excited and looking forward to coming back and testing yourself against the Premier League because as much as people had spoken about the tour team never making it to the Premier League no sooner had we got promoted than people were saying that Bolton would be relegated by Christmas mm. Bolton aren't good enough to be in the Premier League Bolton whatever whatever so again your your focus your motivation kind of changes 
Who are the big characters in that Bolton team? Have you got any stories to tell about? No the stories. Listen, I'm, I say stories. I think we had we had a really really strong group. I think if you look through the spine of that team, you talk about Juicy Matt Clark, you talk about uh, Goodney Bergson, you mentioned Mike Whitlow, you talk about Per Franson, who was a brilliant guy. Dean Oldsworth was here. Michael Ricketts. I think you had a you had a good balance, and you had a really really kind of strong. Uh, Land of youth experience. Yeah, yeah. At that time, yeah. So it was it was. It was a good time. It was a good time. I've told a story, and I hope this is true because I look stupid if it's not. <laughs> told that you speak French, is that right? And you helped to translate for the French players that were at Bolton at the time. Is yes. That, is that true? Yes. Yeah. How, how did that come? How did someone? God, it's not any. Could... Listen, it's not any massive uh, drama behind it. I, I, I learned French, French at school. No, no, no. Just I spoke. Bits and I spoke good French. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, and obviously at Everton, we signed a lot of French players, so I was able to talk to them develop your French skills yeah 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 but again you're not talking about sophisticated philosophical <laughs> okay. French discussion All right, you're talking okay. about your ability to like have a conversation with people and then that transcended into football conversations but as you move on that became a problem for me because like you ended up it was like um, you ended up in a situation where as soon as a new player came in on trial you were automatically told well yeah he's going to room with you because you have the ability to communicate <laughs> with him and you think well no hang on a second you have I've got my own game preparation. Like I need to do my. No, no, no. Can you just tell him? Can you tell? So yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So, so basically, the sum of my contribution to Bolton Wanderers over my five-year period here was my ability to tell players what system to play, where they needed to be, and the tactics that sit behind it. So I'm so glad it's true. I'm so glad it's true. No, you've done well with that. I'd have looked daft. Yeah. Um, that's a colleague of ours. Gareth Paul. Farrelly's massive contribution was his ability to translate. The Bruno Gotti's and the Yuri's of the uh, of that time. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, six caps for the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, is that, is that bit that bit of research is right? Great. Do well. You don't have to apologise in yeah. advance. You, there's a little I'm bit of just, hesitation within your. Yeah, I'm just worried about some of this research being a bit a bit dodgy. But anyway, it must have been proud to play for your country. No, massive, and I, and I captained my country at under 21 and B level. It was unbelievable. But again, depending on where you want to go with the podcast, the um. Getting to the Premier League was incredible. And obviously, the fitness coach who had been here before that, there was people within the group and the squad that were incredible. Faz Page was here, who was a brilliant guy. We had Mark Leather, the physio, who was incredible and contributed to that atmosphere and played a massive part in that. Unfortunately, he left because he got headhunted to take a role as the head of academy at Sunderland at that time. Mark Taylor came in, who contributed hugely then as well. But obviously, for me as a, as a player, and I'm I can say it, being honest with you, I, my my temperament and personality was different. Like I was um, very very driven, motivated, and my personality was a, I'm a perfectionist. So basically, I had a situation where, if we talk about it, when I came to Bolton, it was it was difficult for me because many fans associated me with my Everton goal so if I left the Reebok on a Saturday and it was the same when I was at Everton and it was the same when I was at Aston Villa if I if nine people came up to me and said you've done alright today and then one person said you were crap today I went home mm. and sat in the room with the curtains closed focused on the one person so what happened kind of then was we started to get into pro zone Sam had yeah. introduced that began because it was starting to grow in the game. Man United were doing it, Derby were doing it. There was a huge emphasis on how the game was kind of shifting more towards technology. And Sam was very good at trying to tap into some of these things. Now, 
the ones that did well, obviously everybody was like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. But then there was other things that were brought in that didn't have that same impact. So I went away for the end of the season and I spoke to my friend who I'd worked with for the whole season, fitness coach. And that was fitness coach at a time within sports science, which is taken as a given now, which is to do with people wearing heart monitors and GPSs, positional specific running. So as a central midfield player, and I, the most successful times of my career was when I had him with me. So I went away from the close season and there was huge celebrations on the fact of the playoffs and I had spoken to the manager about him being in place when we came back and I was told he was. I signed a new contract on the back of those things and then on the first day of pre-season when we got here, he was, he, 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 he was gone and he tried to phone me and Sam had decided to go down a different route and brought somebody in who's since become hugely successful and works closely with... Leicester now, a guy called Paul Balsam. We went across to the arena and my fitness came. I would have been like a phone battery. I had to work to be fit. I couldn't not work, but people had an assumption based on the pro zone stats and everything that had come out that season that I just turned up and ran X distance in a game, high intensity run sprints. They were just things I did, whereas the reality was there was a huge amount of work behind that. So we did, we went to the arena and there was, we were to do sprint tests and I was saying to the physio and this new sports science guy, I can't just turn up and sprint. It's pre-season, it's about building into that. You work up to your... Yeah, 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 that, exactly. And everybody was different, but it was like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. And I pulled my hamstring in the first day and I ended up missing the whole of the pre-season. So again, from it's a footballing point of view... Setback. Yeah, yeah, six weeks. So everybody is all a part of the newness and the excitement of being back in the Premier League and I'm in the physio room. So basically I missed... Missed the start of the season. I was at Filbert Street buzzing when we beat Leicester 5-0. Um, I didn't travel midweek. We played Middlesbrough away, beat them 1-0. Then we played Liverpool at home. And I'd obviously worked incredibly hard to try and get back fitness in contention. And my first Premier League appearance was here on the Monday night against Liverpool when we beat them 2-1. So it was like, for me, it was incredible. But I w I'd kind of missed the pre-season so I was always playing catch-up with regard to fitness then we played Leeds away Leeds had just been in the Champions League semi-final on a Saturday and we drew nil-nil so we ended up in a situation where all of these football commentary had been saying that Bolton would be relegated by Christmas and you're picking up results and we ended up in a situation where we were, we were top of the league after four or five games but that that's where my relationship started to deteriorate with Sam and the people here and to be honest we never recovered from that so the point is, I can speak to you about it. That's not Sam's fault. That's that was as much my fault with how I, I dealt with things. But it was um, it never kind of never kind of recovered from them because back to the psychology of a footballer. If you're not playing, you want to be playing. There's people who have stepped into your place in the team. The team is doing well. If people are being honest, in some cases, because you're it's such a singular mentality. You have a situation where well, I don't, want, I don't want the person playing in my position to be doing well because I want to be playing. And that comes back to that distraction is that you end up getting involved in things around it that fundamentally with a bit more maturity, you realise that the only person that really suffers is you. And that was the deterioration of a relationship that never really recovered. So that was kind of my, 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 my kind of time here. When you went away with the Republic of Ireland, how different was it 
to being involved being involved with a group of players at club level was it completely different no no I think I, th- I think the thing in Ireland the, the squads and the period I was involved in Ireland was again was a really really close knit group that some very very good players and people that did very very well Mick McCarthy was the manager for majority of my time there and he, he was excellent and I it, in many ways it was something you really really looked forward to so international breaks at that time for the most part was about getting an opportunity to just go and be with people you enjoyed being with and a manager and at that time as well he had as an assistant who was a guy called Ian Evans they were they were really really positive and really really good managers and good good to be around and, and, and I really enjoyed my time but the point then is you lose your place in your club team yeah. and event- eventually you end up in a situation where you lose your place in the national squad and as I say we were, we were talking about it with somebody recently my last squad was when Ireland qualified for the World Cup which was when we beat Iran in the playoff the 2002 World Cup yeah, yeah 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 so again that was that was kind of it so I would say youth is wasted on the young so mm-hmm. like you say I made I made a lot of mistakes I, if I was advising me as a younger person now there's a lot of things I would do differently a little bit disappointing to miss out on that World Cup. Yeah, very much so. But I, I was injured, as I say, so it, it wasn't it wasn't a massive issue for me. But again, when you look back now, you would you would do things slightly differently. I always wonder, Roy Keane, <coughs> obviously a big big figure in Irish football, yeah. involved in the national team at that point. Obviously, what is he really like? I I really like him, and I got on really really well with him. I think his challenge now is that he's still trying to find his place. As a footballer, he was exceptional. The standards he demanded were huge he would probably judge you by how he he how he would pass a ball into you he'd pass a ball into you with pace with force and basically if you dealt with it and you could play you you would be fine I I had no issues with him so I don't know him now I haven't seen him for a few years but he's obviously I think still trying to find his way because he doesn't want to be a pundit he wants to be a pundit he doesn't want to be a manager he wants to be a manager so it's not easy and finishing football when it's such a big part of your life trying to find that thing that gives you that same feeling is very very difficult and I'm sure people you speak to before or people you will speak to again will always have that issue because football is ruthless and it depends how much of your identity has been associated what you did as to what your likely satisfaction and happiness will be after that so it's football it's an amazing life but it brings a lot of different challenges if you consider that the average football career is possibly eight years. If you look at the scheme of your life, eight years is, is not a lot. And, and having had that um, fix, adulation and everything that goes with that, then for one day for that not to be there, it brings, it brings a lot of interesting and different challenges to people. Those who are at a very high level in the media and those that you would possibly not see or hear about. So it's becoming more of an issue now when you hear about transition, mental health, well-being and the challenges that former athletes face and kind of that's one of the things that's very very interesting to me so I made loads of mistakes will I do things differently now absolutely but it's part of my part of my learning like I I had an illness 12 years ago that kind of recalibrated my sort of perception and was fundamentally life-changing for me it's interesting stuff that Roy going back to Roy is, is he the best Irish player that you've played with? No, Paul McGrath would be the best. Yeah, nobody. Paul McGrath was incredible. Like, we talk about things. Aston Villa, there was two Man of the Match awards. They'd give Paul his, and then there was one for the other ten people to play for. So, he was was incredible. So, Keane not getting into that discussion? 
no, 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 Paul McGrath. Paul McGrath. See, did he win the European Cup with Villa? Um, no, God, no, no, hey, I'm, that's I'm your miles, first mistake now. Miles, miles off there. Yeah. Miles off. yeah, but to be honest with you, Aston Villa former players had a side that used to play a lot of charity matches between the months of kind of March and October, raised a huge amount of money for um, for charity, and I I had the opportunity to play with those, and some of those guys were incredible. And I'm not just saying it because football it's quite funny now where people talk about how the game has changed and players, but they were they won the league in 1981 with 12 players, they won the European Cup in 1982. I played in a charity game one week. It was quite funny because it was the weekend of the Champions League final. And my son came with me to the game. And obviously, you can imagine he was in the dressing room beforehand. And you've got that unique banter that people will probably talk about in a dressing room. And he was in and around people. But one of the guys who was there, he went and was in the dugout area with him. And like after the game, he was like, oh, God, that guy was really, really funny and this type of stuff. And I went, yeah. And I said, like... Alex, you have to realise that the person you were sat with for the game was the person that scored the winning goal in the 1982 Champions League final. It was Peter With, And he was like, people unfortunately sometimes tend to think that football started and stopped in 1992 when the Premier League started. <laughs> Whereas that's anything but the case. And that kind of group at Aston Villa. And Bolton's period, obviously, before us, John McGinley, you know, the people who were, who were part of that team, you had Branners in. It was like an exceptional goalkeeper that it's worthy to listen to some of these people that they might not be at the forefront of your mind, but it's well worth getting them in and sitting with them because the stories and the recollections they've had are, 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 are incredible. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, that was the Villa part, like Pat Heard, Gordon Cowns. Like, you're talking about, you couldn't pay them now. You couldn't pay a fee for some of these people now. Gary Shaw like that they they were they were exceptional so that's the whilst the game changes it's still important to kind of be rooted and maintain that connection with your history and that, and that's one of the things that fascinates me now because you talk about Aston Villa the tribulations they've had over the last few years but when when you look at those players for me they're the people that you think well no hang on and like Paul McGrath is well known and like you say probably one of the most famous Irish players Roy Keane alongside that Robbie Keane more recently yeah. absolutely and would have to be included in that conversation but for me Paul McGraw was up there as was as was Roy Keane yeah I'll have to apologise to my girlfriend's dad who's a massive Villa fan <coughs> mistake so, yeah. it's, it's the it, first one to be honest you've done well but, yeah. the, but the difference with that one was you went straight in didn't you you didn't yeah, caveat yeah, at the start there was, no, yeah, there, was no, there was no buffer at the start I don't know where the confidence came from it was funny from. you said that about the, the money and how you couldn't pay fees for some of these players it's brilliant when you see some of the Bolton fans from that the, the white hot era saying so like David Lee 100 million because of how good he was. Mm. Obviously, the most like blind, blindsided view, but just how much the <laughs> obviously negotiating on his behalf as yeah. the agent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not taking anything less than a hundred yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing how much the the sort of players on like the specific areas mean to the fans. Yeah, very much so. And I think if you look at that Bolton team, if you think back to it, like again, you look at Alan Stubbs, Alan Thompson, Jason McAteer, like Owen Coyle you look at the people that were here like some incredible players and who did go on to have excellent careers after they left Bolton so I, I, I just think m m more with the old ones not, not a nostalgia but I just think it's important that that connection is maintained as I say people talk to me my career is over I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable I, I had a brilliant time I played with some who I would consider to be legends but I, I'm not I'm not one of them
you know what I mean? I, I'm very fortunate to have been a part of some really, really positive stuff in Everton's history, in Bolton's history, getting back to the Premier League and staying there and being a part of what kind of became a really, really good period for the club. But again, you mentioned people like Yuri Jokaev who came in and it was, he was brilliant. He's still a friend of mine today. I'm fortunate that he's a, he's a, he's a friend of mine today. He's now the head of the UEFA Foundation yeah. doing huge work and he's, he's a brilliant guy you look at some of the other people that came in JJ Okocha came in and was exceptional and added real value to the club Ivan Campo came and contributed but the other part of it is some of the other ones who were here already they, they played as much a part of that it's just sometimes they're the ones that don't get the spotlight shone on them absolutely I agree with that like, when you said like Simon Charlton Mystic consistency, like player of the year, Yeah, yeah, did very well. Kevin Nolan was exceptional while he was here. Anthony Barnes was exceptional yeah. while he was here. Juicy Jaskalainen was exceptional. Like the, there was a lot of people that contributed to that. Goodney Bergson was unbelievable. Bruno Mangotti, you mentioned, who came in, who was absolutely exceptional, and other people along the way. So that's the nice part about these things is that there's people that may not have been at the forefront of your mind, but who made a telling contribution while they were here at a given time. Absolutely. When you bring them up, you think, "Oh yeah, he, he's certainly one of them that's up there when he was playing for us for sure." Yeah. So towards you, the end of your spell with Bolton, you had loans at Rotherham, Burnley, and Bradford. How yeah, well, find your time at those clubs. So back to that football part, right? When you fall out, the manager doesn't want you in the club, mm-hmm. and the last thing you want to be doing is coming in every day to somewhere where you're not wanted, especially yeah, when same, you have a situation yeah. where you're training with the kids you're watching the first team training, you're not a part of it. And when when you want to play, that's it. Footballers want to play for the most part. When I played, that was the more important thing. was not you didn't gauge it on other um, points of reference. You Mm -hmm. wanted to play games. So what happened and transpired then was you end up in a situation where you'll go on loan just to play games and And just not to have to be in and around it every day. that's the main thing, really, and that's what ultimately makes a footballer happy when they're on the pitch yeah 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 very much so and you're not not back to that point to prove stuff again but then this is the thing about being in the eye of the storm is that your decision making is crap so simply that you are absorbed in your own issues as to why the world is conspiring against you and things aren't as they should be so you go on loan and you pick loan deals just to not be in and around it and to be playing but not necessarily what are the best loan deals I went back to Rotherham because it had an incredible time there when I was a young player at Villa it was the best one of the best times I ever had in football again you talk about legends I signed on loan for Rotherham and I got the opportunity to play for Archie Gemmell and John McGovern and every day I was with these people that were like again had won European Cups were legends class players Uh, won it more than once they were, they were exceptional and I had a brilliant time with them so going back to Rotherham at that time was an opportunity to play but you go on loan then you do your loan then you come back to the club again I went on loan to Burnley and again there was a brilliant group of lads at Burnley I didn't get on with the manager so the Burnley loan ended early I signed for Bradford my wife was pregnant I was travelling four and a half to five hours in a car every day wow. to get to Bradford just to play Brian Robson was exceptional brilliant manager Colin Todd as well I had a great time with him but as my wife was pregnant I had to be home because that was how life had kind of shifted the first two months at Bradford I played really really well there was talks of different moves 
third month my hamstring went because I was spending five hours in a car so if you were advising a young player now Don't I, would, I wouldn't be sitting and saying <laughs> listen on a daily basis it's going to be great go on loan and play but by the way spend five hours in a car but that was that was my life at that time I came back from Bradford I Everton didn't want me back in and I ended up after five years agreeing a settlement and leaving and Obviously, after a short spell at Wigan, you joined Bohemians. Got more than you got more than you bargained for now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, slightly. Got a lot, a lot Just a little. <laughs> short spell at Wigan. Everybody will be asleep by now, so you oh, don't have to worry. There'll be no pressure. They'll be wide awake. They'll be wide awake. You joined Bohemians. Yeah, I fell out. I'd completely fallen out of love with football. So I had a situation where was it I was player manager. Yeah, I was passionate role? about player development. Even within Ireland, I'm still passionate about it now. And I'd looked at developing something like a Rosenborg model. Yeah. where I'd watch these things closely and I thought about that if you can develop a, an underage structure that looks to develop young Irish players to the best you can do so within an, an elite environment albeit um, determined and dictated by the budget you had that you'd be able to have a really really strong impact and effect so as a young manager I walked out at Premier League at 28 so again how silly a move 28 to walk out and go I don't want to play in the Premier League anymore I'm going to go and be a player manager in Ireland but I was at a point in my mind where I couldn't make I couldn't see the wood from the trees if you like and my position was I've fallen out of love with this I don't like it and I'm going to go and try and build my own but what you don't realise then is whilst you've had managers to deal with as a player when you become a manager you're dealing with so a chairman a chairman and a board of directors yeah absolutely <laughs> so it gave me a newfound respect and kind of understanding for the difficult job that managers had so Bohemians I had two years there it was an incredible experience one of the best experiences I ever had but it wasn't easy it was two years of firefighting within six weeks of being there the club pulled me into a board meeting and told me that 30 to 35 percent of the budget would have to be cut based on what had happened with the previous manager I inherited a dressing room with 12 players out of contract I'd never known that and it would never happen in the UK I was able to keep two out of 12 so I ha it, w it was it was a, a totally different experience but one now I look back on and think well wow I learned some incredible skills doing it but again I, w I wouldn't recommend it and it, it's something that through my experience I can kind of identify and relate to now with some young managers who take that first job through um, hunger and desire that they can affect things but don't have that understanding and maybe a naivety of how difficult it is to be a manager to be successful so my life took on a different route then what's the trick to being a player manager because you don't really see them anymore do you I mean no less so because of how the game has changed but mm -hmm. I think what, the only thing I would say is if if your castle is built on sand as a player manager you're not going to be successful you need to have that structure around you and you need to have had an opportunity to build that to make the other parts a little bit easier so it was a diff different time do you think that there's such a in the modern day now there's such a short term expectancy on managers that they need to be coming and like that they need to be able to make things happen on the pitch do you think that there's should be more of a long-term aspect with managers and they should be given more time to develop their own style yeah but while everybody loves football that's not easy in its own right is it because no. you can say that but you need to have the right manager for that to happen because if he develops mm. the wrong yeah yeah exactly so I, I i don't think there's an exact science or ease to that i think it's incredibly challenging but that comes back to the overall philosophy of the club so again it's not just you're not just um totally committed to one particular part of the plan 
the plan is bigger than that and the strategy is bigger than that and that's why it's important when you look at the club it's looking at what the general philosophy is of the club so that if it's not the right manager after giving them every opportunity giving them the support they needed and giving them the resources they need then you can make a decision with regards to the manager which won't completely turn the club upside down or absolutely kind of destroy the strategy that sits in behind that and that's that's why everybody loves football it's like it's like no other world but i think everybody has their own experience and from with mine as you, you possibly look at all of these things slightly differently now how did you balance your mentality when you're a player manager because you You've half got to relate to the players as a player, but then you're managing them as well. So how do you balance that mentality? No, difficult. But I, I had some really, really good players there. And I think the challenge was that it became more and more difficult because you, you, you speak about what Bolton had to go through and some of the players in the last couple of years. Bohemians was no different. Players not getting paid. You as the manager having to try and... Um, Motivate. Generate, no, generate uh, bridging loans... Oh, against right. secured wow. income at the ground to try and make sure the players were played making wow. demands of those players as a manager having to look in their eyes and say I need you to give me this on Friday night and them looking back at you or having a conversation with you and going listen guys we ain't got paid and my mortgage goes out on Monday how do you motivate people in situations like that so I think that skill set it, it, it's it's very very difficult and and again that was one of my one of my experiences having to deal with that I, I, I talk about the players were the players were incredible players are incredible it's like slightly different in Ireland because tr that transition or full-time football didn't really work at that time because there was clubs paying huge wages in Ireland it was incredibly an incredible challenge given that Bohemians was a club that was was run properly taxes were paid one of the directors was involved with the revenue so whilst Bohemians were running their club properly paying the taxes paying the national insurance equivalent all of those things other clubs in Ireland weren't doing that and, that and that brought different challenges as a manager because I could sit with you and say listen I think you're, you're a super player I want you to come and play for me I'm going to pay you a thousand euros a week mm -hmm. and then that player you, you'd come back to me and say well is that gross or net well it's like well no it's gross because we pay our tax properly and he'd say oh well guys I'm really sorry but the club down the road said they're going to give it me a thousand net so you, you, you learn different skills and as I say it was two years it was an incredible experience but like incredibly challenging and again I took that job because I'd fallen out of love with the game I couldn't see the wood from the trees I made bad decisions but it was it was an unbelievable experience I, I, I had players who were sat with me on a Friday who were going to play and then turning around to me and saying I've just I'm terminating my contract because of sporting just cause because the club haven't paid me relocation money for the nine last nine months and that player then went and left on the Monday and signed for Ghent in Belgium I, I had a, there's an array of experiences that I, I wouldn't have had if I hadn't done it but the point is if if you work back to the mistakes I think I would have changed things a little bit earlier that I might not have experienced all of that so I, I've had a, I've had an incredible I had a, I've had an incredible time statistic here for you almost a 41% win percentage as player manager at Bohemians I mean despite all that was going on you talk about players there walking yeah, away do you know what that's a really interesting stat because I've been trying to look for, people have been asking me about that for ages yeah 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 but again Bohemians are a huge club and the win percentage should be in and around that but I'm saying it, it wasn't it was anything but straightforward at that time the stats don't really paint the picture of what was happening no 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 and that, and that happens for a lot of people and, and but as again sometimes it's like you say even with regards to your recruitment it tends how much or how little 
you give to statistics because some people will have terrific statistics but it won't be the true story really you studied at university and <coughs> now a trained solicitor is that right? yeah well the, f the, p the part of that is kind of what i touched on before is that after all of those experiences i i i got sick 12 12 years ago i had a i had a stomach aneurysm on the m42 and nearly died so i'm part of 10 percent wow. that live so i did what all footballers do after that footballers are incredibly resilient irrespective of the different challenges they face but I had kind of had not my illness was it, yeah it was it was life changing but it kind of made me think well I've wasted a lot of time I want to try as everyone would do footballers first thought is I want to get back I want to play so after my surgery after everything that went with that I asked so I, am I going to be okay to play football again and he was like well you you should be so I basically um I did my rehab at Preston because a friend of mine was there at the time. I signed non-contract terms for Morecambe, but I got to a point where I knew when people looked at me, given the gravity of my illness, and given the fact that I wouldn't be playing somewhere fabulous like here or in the Premier League again, I um, decided to go down a different route and I decided to return to study. So I was 16 years out of academia and then I decided to go back and study law. Is that what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lawyer with law firm Berman's in Liverpool. They've offices in Manchester as well. So I've been there for two years. It's taken me over seven years to be to become a lawyer. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Back on what we touched on earlier about kind of that transition, I have really, really interesting practice. I do commercial litigation and sports law. So I'm learning, still learning the law. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky. You've also done some work in the past for Radio Manchester doing the core commentary. This season, yeah, that? yeah, I've loved it. I've loved it because, again, it was it's something I've you look from the outside at and it's only when you get in and get around it that you realise what a huge operation it is. And obviously, I've had the pleasure of being with Jack Dearden, um, Liam Bradford, the, and I've done it a few times, obviously, with, with work and with life commitments. It's not been easy, but... And I don't think I have a coat warm enough to keep me uh, from hypothermia. Yeah, the West stand up or to keep hypothermia at bay. But uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. But like you say, it's a, it's a challenging time for the club as well, isn't it? So I'm not all about the, the glory and the different things. So it's been nice to kind of come back down and kind of see, see where they're at. So, yeah, I'm, en I'm enjoying it. Is the coaching side of the game something you ever wanted to go down or, or not? No, I did it, and I decided no. Yeah, and and I, haven't, I haven't seen anything since that would pull me yeah. back in. A, lo a lot of my peers and a lot of the people, again, you might speak to have different desires of possibly playing, uh, managing, coaching, dealing with players, sporting director. The game's kind of changing a little bit, but for me, I'm kind of quite happy where I am at the minute. So would you say Paul McGrath is the best player you've played with? Yeah, different. Paul McGrath's the best player I played with. Yeah, I'm 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 comfortable with that. You're not gonna you're not gonna, gonna shift me. You think of Bolt like Bolton totally played with some it. exceptional players at Bolton, played with some top top players at Everton. So I've I've been I've been really lucky. Played with some top players for Ireland. But I, as I say, I played with them. I don't need I say my my ego doesn't need to be taken to a level. I'm I'm, I'm not legend. It makes me laugh sometimes. People talk about I'm not. And I don't need to be presented as such. I've got no interest in that. But during my career, I had the opportunity to play with some. Who would you say is the best Bolton player you've played with? No, Bolton's funny because, again, different people had different things. I think Juicy was exceptional. Goodney was awesome. He got better. Um, 
Per Franson was an exceptional footballer. Michael Ricketts was exceptional that year. Because the point with all of those people at a given time, you couldn't have done without them. Yuri came in and was exceptional. JG Okocha offered something. He was a fabulous footballer. Freddie... Freddie Bobbitt. Bobbitt came in and different people contributed at different times. Do you know what I mean? So after my time, even here... Hierro came in and had a massive impact. So I think the point was that the foundations had been built at that time was that it was a really, really strong period for the club. And I think we all hope that that's what they will invariably get back to. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us, Gareth. No worries. Pleasure. Nice to see you.